Awesome. Let me pray for us before we, why don't we all stand? We read God's word, but let me pray for us. God, bless your word tonight, Lord. Bless this time that we have together, God. And Lord, as we just uh, get a glimpse of heaven, get a glimpse of your glory, as we get a glimpse to what it's going to be like as we worship you and are in your presence forever and ever. We pray, Lord, just for a glimpse of that. God, we just echo the cries of Moses, Lord, in Exodus 33, that if we can just see a glimpse of your glory tonight, um, Lord, we know that we would be changed. We know, Lord, you would transform us. And uh, so, God, help us to see a glimpse of you tonight, Lord, as we study your word together. Bless your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to start, I know he covered these two verses, but just in context, I'm going to start in verse 1. Revelation chapter 4, after these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. Immediately I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and the one stand, sat on, and, and one sat on the throne. You guys can be seated tonight. Remember with me this evening... Uh, that we ha we're going through, we're studying through Revelation verse by verse, and Revelation can be a scary book to go through. I know a lot of you maybe have never been through this book, maybe you've been through it a few times, and it's still kind of a scary book to go through. You look at all of the different symbols, metaphors, all of the different things that they're talking about, and so often as you're, as you're studying through, sometimes I even catch myself, I went to Bible college and studied this book, and still I catch myself going, what is he talking about? Where am I again? What, what are we talking about here again? And so I really want to encourage you guys as you approach Revelation, as you continue to study it, because I believe that the writer who is writing this, I believe John writing this, was writing, knowing that every little word that he was putting down, every symbol, every metaphor, everything that he was talking about, I know he wasn't writing it so that we would all understand it in one sitting, one reading, and go, oh, I got everything. He was writing it intentionally, one for the people that he was writing it to, two for all of us as God was inspiring him to write to every single one of us. But I know that he was writing it with, with intention there. And with intention to study it more and more, to give more of your time and your effort studying, trying to figure out what is the writer talking about, what is God trying to say to each and every one of us. That's what all these symbols, all these amazing metaphors, even in, as we're in Revelation chapter 4 tonight, there's going to be so many symbols that are referring back to the Old Testament, talking about different things from the Old Testament. And if you don't know your Old Testament, sometimes you're, you, you'll miss some of the things that he's referring to. You'll miss some of the imagery, some of the different symbols. So really important as you guys continue to study through Revelation chapter 4, open up your Bible, open up old, the Old Testament, study through those scriptures again. Uh, Derek always talks about like uh, breaking the, the cracks in the Old Testament, you know, and dusting it all off because sometimes we stay away from it. But it is so important as we continue um, through Revelation chapter 4. And remember, as he talked about last week, he was talking about the rapture and talking about the, um, uh, the rapture of the church. And 
as we approach Revelation, remember Revelation chapter 1 has that divine outline. Revelation chapter 1 verse 19, write the things that were, the things that are, and the things that will take place after these things. The Greek word metatauta, which is the same Greek word that he's using here in Revelation chapter 4. So he's trying to spark in your mind as he's writing this letter all in context. He's trying to spark your mind again, saying after these things, this is the thing that I'm supposed to write, after these things. What are we talking about here? Well, we're talking about the church in heaven. He got a, a revelation of Jesus in Revelation chapter 1. He wrote the things that are to the churches, the seven churches, in Revelations chapter 2 and chapter 3. And here we are talking about as the church is caught up in heaven, which we believe the pre-tribulation rapture, as the church is caught up in heaven, this is now a glimpse of the church in heaven in Revelation chapter 4 and chapter 5. And then through the rest of Revelation is what is going on. Meanwhile, back on earth is what's going on in Revelation chapter 6 through 19, which Pastor Derek will get to in the next couple of weeks. So tonight we get this amazing glimpse of heaven, the church in heaven, as the church is caught up, and as John is caught up in a, in a symbolic way as well in, the, in, that, in that kind of sense, he's caught up and he sees this throne in Revelation chapter 4, verse 2. He was in the spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he continues in this glimpse, and he says, And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance, and there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Man, so really, really, for how many of you guys are geologists out there? Yeah, me either. So, <laughs> again, these are kind of things that he's talking to a group of people here, a specific group of people. If we don't know what he's talking about, we've got to just kind of look some of these things up. Really amazing imagery that he's seeing here, and he's trying to give you a glimpse of what he is seeing. And he sees the one who's sitting on the throne. He sees this throne that's immovable. It's set in place. It is uh, the focus, the center of everything that he's seeing. It's not, ne maybe not even necessarily um, the first thing that he sees, but as he looks at, at the glimpse of heaven, he sees right in the center of it a throne. And someone who is sitting on the throne, someone who is ruling, someone who is reigning, and that person looks like Jasper, Sardius stone, has a rainbow around them um, that looks like emerald. Really amazing imagery here. Jasper, which would be something that is like a diamond, Something that is pure, th that is just beautiful to behold. The next stone is like ruby. It's like a red type of stone. Um, sim symbolically uh, talking about maybe sacrifice or royalty. Amazing that as he looks upon the throne and the one who sits in the throne, he sees a rainbow around that. That's why I love going through Genesis and Revelation. Genesis in the morning and Revelation at night, you start to see some of these images here that he's noting back to into the Old Testament. The rainbow obviously talking about the covenant that God gave to humanity as he wiped out the earth in Genesis chapter 6 with Noah and, and the ark when he saves Noah and his family and he promises Noah. Noah and the rest of, the, uh, rest of humanity that he will never um, destroy the earth with a flood like that ever again. And that sign of it, the symbol of that covenant, a rainbow. 
And that is what John sees. How beautiful is that? How beautiful is that, that he sees this pure, this uh, image of sacrifice, royalty, the, the reminder of God's promise and God's covenant promise, that God keeps his promise. And it gives him the glimpse, the rainbow that he's looking at is like emerald. It's green. It is a symbol of peace. And so as he looks at, at the throne and the one who sits on the throne, the one who sits on the throne resembling, I believe, resembling Jesus, the one, as he is looking at Jesus and catching a glimpse of Christ, he's seeing someone who is pure, the perfect spotless lamb as the word talks about, someone who is pure, someone who gave his life, the blood of Christ who gives his life for us, that ruby sacrificial symbol right there. And the, the, the symbol of his covenant promise with the rainbow as he sees um, as a symbol of peace. And uh, re really this is just a reminder of his covenant of, of mercy. His promises are yes and amen. And I think, you know, whenever, I, whenever you see something like on TV or something with, uh, in movies or things like that, we always see um, uh, the... Re the symbol of God in a lot of these movies or a lot of these TV shows and things like that. You get this symbol of like darkness for some reason. I don't know why. It's like this dark like booming voice and it's like kind of this scary, mysterious, like dark kind of thing. And it, and it kind of freaks you out sometimes as you see all of these different examples of who like what Hollywood thinks God is or what God is supposed to resemble. It's like this dark kind of scary thing. But I love as John looks upon heaven, as John sees heaven, as John sees the one who's sitting on the throne, he sees this bright, beautiful, glorious, pure, holy, loving, gracious, and peaceful image of Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that awesome? Anybody else excited about that or that just me? <laughs> Love it. This is why the author of Hebrews in, ver in chapter 4, verse 16 says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of what? Grace. Not the throne of fear, not the throne of shame, not the throne of darkness, the throne of grace. And this is exactly what John sees in heaven. He continues here in his glimpse of heaven in verse 4. Bible says, around the throne were 24 thrones, and on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. Another interesting image here, 24 thrones that are lesser thrones, but they're around the one throne in the middle, 24 lesser thrones. Um, but they're still ruling in context, and there's 24 elders that are sitting on these 24 uh, thrones. Well, who are the 24 elders? Obviously, as comes with the rest of the book of Revelation, there's a lot of debate on who the 24 elders could be. Um, some of the debate is, are they human or are they angelic? Even some other cults, they talk about this, like Jehovah's Witnesses, maybe you know, that believe it's only 144,000 of the faithful Jehovah's Witness um, that this represents. Um, but what does the Bible here indicate about these 24 elders? Notice some of the, the descriptions of these 24 elders. I'm going to read it again. Sitting clothed in white, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. And then uh, uh, we're going to jump over even in chapter 5. 
he's talking about the elders again, the 24 elders. And in chapter 5, they sing a song. And this, this song that they sing um, in chapter 5, verse 9, the song that they sing, they sing a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God, which is, would be interesting for an angel to say, have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. I believe that the 24 elders, that they represent all believing people of the Old and New Testament. I think symbolically the 24 is pointing back to the Old and the New Testament. The 12 tribes of Israel, as you guys remember in the Old Testament, the 12 apostles representing in the New Testament representing all of the faithful. And so God, or John here is witnessing the church at a whole, the believers as a whole from Old Testament to New Testament are sitting on the throne, on these 24 thrones before Jesus, before the one throne. And I, th these are a few things that I wanted to, to note just on why we think the 24 elders are um, the people from Old and New Testament, the faithful believers of God. The Bible refers, anytime the Bible refers to elders, it talks about um, people, which is specifically church leaders, as well as who um, acted as judges and administrators of justice among the children of Israel. So in the Old Testament, um, the different people who acted as judges and administrators of justice among the children of Israel were called elders. In the New Testament, leaders of the, um, of the New Testament ecclesial government of the New Testament church are called elders. And so he always, every time the Bible refers to elders, it's talking about people. It's not talking about angels or the angelic um, realm. Um, look at their place in heaven. They're sitting on thrones around the throne of God. And remember in chapter 3, verse 21, if you flip back just to chapter 3, verse 21, John writes, to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. This is a promise that you see throughout the New Testament that those who put their trust and faith in Jesus, we inherit um, his inheritance and we get to rule and reign with him in the end. So we're sitting on a throne beside him as he is the one who is ruling and reigning and we get to sit at his side. Notice what they're wearing as well. They're wearing, um, the, they are wearing uh, robes of white, which is something that only believers are, are being seen to wear in the New Testament. Robes of white, they're clothed in robes of white. And like I, I talked about in Revelation chapter 5, verse 9 and 10, the song that they sing is only a song that believers can sing. This is something that differentiates us from the angelic realm, from angels, is that we have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And this is the song that they're singing. The song that they're singing is, Jesus, you've paid everything for us. You've redeemed us. You died for us. You rose again for us. This is the song that they are singing for eternity. He is faithful to his promise, and we are with him, sitting by his side, ruling and reigning just amazing. So we see, we, see, um, we see Christ on the throne. We see the church represented Old and New Testament. 
And he continues with the glimpse of heaven. I'm going through this quickly. We've got a lot of different things to, uh, to get through tonight. So um, keep up with me. Am I going too fast for anybody? We've got 24 elders. We've got, <laughs> we've got uh, the seven spirits of God. We've got, 20, uh, we've got you know, the one who sits on the throne, four living creatures. We've got a lot to cover tonight. So I'm going <laughs> to keep flying through this. But verse 5, and the throne... And from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. The, the, these sounds that he's talking about, um, really, really uh, uh, interesting as he's talking about the throne of God again, around the throne. Um, it preceded lightnings, thunderings, and voices. Um, these sounds are common when referring to God in heaven. Remember back in the Old Testament when Moses saw God on Mount Sinai. And when God spoke to Moses from Mount Sinai, at Sinai and gave him the Ten Commandments, he spoke through this thunder and through the lightning. Remember that? And uh, the power of God displayed through awe and majesty. So even as God gave the covenant promise and God gave the, the, the list of terms and conditions of his covenant promise to Israel through the Ten Commandments, in Exodus chapter 19, he spoke to Moses through thunder and through lightning and through fire. Just this amazing awe and majesty from the throne of God. Just the, the, the Father represented here. And so he, as, as he sees this, he sees seven lamps of fire burning before the throne. Do you guys remember, does this spark a memory for anybody on the seven spirits of God? Anybody remember this? Yep, Isaiah 11 too, and even more recently, Revelation chapter 1. Remember Revelation chapter 1, go back with me. As Pastor Derek opened up the whole um, book here, the whole letter here, Revelation chapter 1, verse 4, John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the what? Seven spirits who are before his throne. So again, in context, as, as he's talking about this glimpse that he is seeing in heaven, again, before the throne, he sees the seven spirits. And so, as my brother here talked about in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1 and 2, because this is kind of, this is really, there's not a lot of places that this, that this is talked about, the seven spirits of God. It's very unique. Um, it's a very unique statement here. And so what does John mean by this? We believe, as Pastor Derek talked about in Revelation chapter 1, verse 4, and that teaching, you can go back to that on our archive, but that it's the Holy Spirit that's being represented here, that the Holy Spirit is being represented before the throne of God. Isaiah 11, verses 1 and 2, speaks of this unique way of seeing the Holy Spirit. Um, you guys can jot that down and flip to it later. Isaiah 11, verse 1 and 2, I'll read it to you tonight. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. The three couplets there, that the spirit of wisdom and understanding, 
spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of fear, representing the Holy Spirit, the seven um, spirits of God. And so really right here what John is referring to, possibly he's referring to um, the spirit of God is represented here in his completion. The number seven is in the Bible throughout scripture means the number of completion. And so what he's saying here, possibly what he's referring to is that the Holy Spirit is present as well in his completion. So we see the Father represented in the voice and thunderings and lightnings from the throne of God. We see the the one who is sitting on the throne, the one who we're worshiping as well and, and, uh, um, and talking about the one who has redeemed us to God by his blood. And we see the Holy Spirit represented here. As John approaches the throne, he sees the triune Godhead. How amazing is that? The trinity that he's seeing before his very eyes. Amazing. So he continues in verse 6 through 8. Another glimpse of heaven here. Before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature like a calf. The third living creature had a face like a man, and the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. So as John looks upon the throne again, he sees... Before the throne, there was a sea of glass like crystal. There's a lot of controversy whether it is physically glass like crystal, like a, a, you know, this just amazing, beautiful crystal glass that is right before the throne. It could just be a sea that looks like it. Whatever it is, whatever the, the thing is, if it's material or just metaphorical, it's beautiful. It's beautiful and it's peaceful. Really, this could as well be an illustration of the tabernacle. Remember the laver that is used for priest cleansing for the tabernacle? So there was that like fountain that the priest would come into before the tabernacle. They would cleanse in that water before they would go in. And uh, really, each of these things, as we look through, um, as we look through heaven and as we look through the, the glimpses of heaven that John is getting here, again, this is something that is going back to the Old Testament. Why do I keep saying that? Why do I keep mentioning this? Is because of how important the Old Testament is to understanding the rest of Scripture. There is a context, there is intention behind every author, behind the, the words that they're talking about, the illustrations that they're using. Even from the very beginning as we talk about, that's why I love that we're going through Genesis, as we're talking about Eden and as we're talking about the, the, the um, presence of God that was dwelling in Eden. Remember, this is what, at the very beginning, God created Adam and he created Eve. He gave Adam uh, and, and Eve just a, a charge to, to rule and to reign in, uh, the, the world and gave Adam the, the, the charge to go and name all the animals. But the very unique thing out of all the different stuff, out of all even this, the controversy from what the beginning is talking about and all the different things, what we see in Genesis at the beginning is we see this amazing relationship between man and God. 
God in his presence is dwelling with man. There's nothing that is separating them. We have this amazing, beautiful relationship with God in the midst of the Garden of Eden. It's beautiful in the midst of the Garden of Eden. But then what do we do after the first chapter is we mess things up. <laughs> we, we mess things up with all of the different stuff that, that Eve did, that Adam did. And through their mistakes, we messed up and we were kicked out of Eden. There was this separation because of our sin between um, man and between God. And since then, all that we've been trying to do, all that God's been trying to do, and what we've been trying to do is to restore that relationship once again with God, to, to break through that barrier and to experience his presence like that again. And so even the tabernacle, even the temple is all a glimpse of Eden. It's all trying to get us back. The purpose of it is to get us back to that presence of God in Eden that we once had before. And even the tabernacle is a beautiful example of the Garden of Eden, this holy of holies that's in the middle of the bigger of Eden. Eden was a big location. The Garden of Eden was at the center of this big location. And so as they were kicked out of the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve and his family later on, as they are still in Eden, there's still this holy of holies within the midst of it that, that the presence of God dwells. And then when Moses, as he sets the, the people free, as they are trying to get away from Egypt and as they're wandering in the wilderness, God, Moses wants to bring Israel back to the presence of God. And so God tries to make a way through the tabernacle and says, here is how you can experience my presence. It's through the temple, through the tabernacle. And so then here we get another glimpse of this. As there is the Holy of Holies, the one who sits on the throne, the church approaching the Holy of Holies, the church approaching the triune Godhead. This is all noting back to what? The presence of God. The church here in the midst and presence of the triune Godhead. How amazing is that? And in his presence as he approaches it, all he sees is this peace around him. This beauty, this purity, this holiness, this grace and mercy, even to something like this where there's a sea of glass that is before the throne. This peace that God is in control. As we are in his presence, God is in control. And so as he looks around the sea of glass, he sees and notices four living creatures. I mean, by the... By the Description of them, it's hard to miss these guys. <laughs> it's hard to miss these four living creatures. They are very, very unique and very interesting. I'm going to read it one more time. Four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. Verse 7, the first living creature was like a lion, second like a calf, third had a face like a man, and the fourth was like a flying eagle. And they had six wings, were full of eyes around and within. Man, interesting, interesting um, description here. Again, in, in the Old Testament, I want you guys to write this down. Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 4 through 14 Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 4 through 14, and Ezekiel chapter 10, verse 20 through 22. Here we find out that the four living creatures that are mentioned here are described as cherubim in these two verses, in these two portions of scripture in Ezekiel chapter 1 and chapter 10. 
And uh, how many of you guys were here this morning for Pastor Derek's message? You guys remember the spiritual warfare, and he was talking about the, the run-of-the-mill angels and the seraphim and the cherubim. So the, these guys are amazing angelic beings um, that are before the throne of God. Again, this was a prominent design of the tabernacle, the most holy place in Exodus chapter 25, verse 17 through 22, and Exodus chapter 26, verse 1 through 31. Um, they talk about in the tabernacle and the most holy place are cherubim that are represented there. So again, representing um, the presence of God and representing heaven. They are capable of executing God's mission. They have six wings. They can go anywhere. Amazing. They're full of eyes. They can see anything. They are built and made to be capable of executing any of God's missions. They're representing all of God's creation before the throne in worship as they represent um, the lion, the ox, and, uh, or the calf, um, or a man, or a flying eagle. It's really just representing just the excellence of God's creation before the throne in worship. And in, uh, in a lot of ways, too, each living creature has uh, also been taken as symbols of Jesus in each gospel. Really cool study to do that each living creature represented here are symbols that can be taken of Jesus in each of the gospels. So Matthew, the gospel according to Matthew, that um, is like a lion. It's representing Christ as king. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. And uh, the gospel according to Mark is like the calf the servant, the humble servant. And the gospel according to Luke is, is representative of the man of God, the savior, the perfect man, the second Adam who came for us. The gospel according to John, like an eagle, which is like the man coming from heaven just focusing on um, uh, the, the deity of, of Jesus. And so even as the, tri the Trinity, the triune Godhead is represented here in heaven. The church is represented here in heaven from Old to New Testament. Um, we've got this peace that is represented here, this grace, this holiness, this um, perfection that is represented here in heaven. And even through that we see the angelic realm that is represented here. As well as I believe the gospel that is represented here in heaven that we get to see a glimpse of the gospel before our eyes. And the four living creatures, they sing a beautiful song of worship. We talked about it even this morning in, in Genesis. Um, but in Revelation 4, verse 8, the four living creatures sing, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. I love this. I love this, this song that they sing. And uh, Pastor Derek talked about the, that this morning. That you, you guys have been in those times of worship when in the song, when it goes back to this kind, of, this kind of song of worship, when we sing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. There's just something special about it. I feel like it is just uh, a, a picture of heaven that we, uh, that we get to sing in worship, that we're going to sing this forever and ever to God. Holy, 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 the triune God. Some people believe that he's talking about holy is the Father, holy is the Son, and holy is the Spirit. That the triune God is perfect, that he's beautiful, there is no one like him. He's set apart from any other God. 
Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He's superior. He is omnipotent. He is Almighty God who was and is and is to come. He's transcendent and eternal. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Verse 9 says, Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. The 24 elders, they fall down before him who sits on the throne <clears throat> and they worship him. Worship there, the Greek word is proskuneo. You guys, some of you guys know this word to, to mean adoration, devotion. It's a picture, it's like the picture of someone turning towards and kissing someone else is to kiss towards someone else. The illustration here as the 24 elders are casting their crowns, they're getting on their knees, they're turning towards and kissing. It's almost like an illustration of a king with a signet ring and they're kissing his ring, you know, as a sign of respect and honor. They're turning towards, they're worshiping, devoting and adoring the one who sits on the throne. <clears throat> and think about the humility of those in heaven. You know, uh, uh, there, there's always that joke, I know, growing up in the church, I always heard the joke of like, uh, store up treasures in heaven, you know, like, oh, if you get a reward here, you're going to lose that on your reward in heaven, you know, and, and there's always this kind of, uh, sometimes it's a joke, sometimes people, they're really, really firm about this, they don't want to say anything or to take away the reward in heaven, but I love here the, the, the humility of the church represented in heaven, that the reward that is given to them even the righteousness that is given to us, the, the treasure that we store up in heaven, the crowns that we receive because of our righteousness, we don't even want that when we approach the presence of God. We're so in awe of God. The 24 elders are so in awe of God that they cast the reward at his feet. They cast the, their crowns that were given to them, the very reward that is given to them by God, they just give it back to him in an attitude of worship. Nothing compares to him. What we get from God, his presence is so awesome that we cast our treasure, our reward back to him. And their song to him, you are worthy, O Lord. You're the only one who deserves this type of worship to receive glory, to magnify or declare above everything else, to receive honor, more worth than anything else, to receive power, more power than anyone else. For you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. He is the creator and source of life. By your will it is all for him. That is their song of worship. He created all things and it is for his glory. In our gatherings, as we gather together, this is what we're trying to catch a glimpse of. We're trying to catch a glimpse of this scene right here. 
the glory and the majesty, the presence of God. I read in a book a long time ago on, on worship, and the author, um, he, he talked about that our worship gatherings were like worship rehearsals for heaven. I loved that, that it was like a big rehearsal that we were having for heaven as we sing and as we experience his presence. But I love just um, the, the, the different things that he talks about here, and I think that we can't miss any of these symbols, any of these things that he is describing here as we rehearse heaven, as we rehearse being in his presence, presence forever and ever. Remember what, what John sees in heaven. He sees the Trinity before him. And right, right in the presence of the Trinity is the church that is worshiping God, casting their crowns before the Lord. The gospel is represented in heaven. The whole creation is crying out to their creator in heaven. This beautiful, beautiful scene. And that is what we get to do every single Sunday. Every single Sunday, Sunday morning, Sunday night, as we approach his throne, we are approaching like John approached his throne. Like the 24 elders are approaching his throne, casting our rewards, our gifts, our talents, our burdens, our victories, Every, anything that is on our hearts, on our minds, we're casting it before the throne of God. Trying to get a glimpse of his presence. Moses, as I talked about at the beginning in Exodus chapter 33, all he asked for was, God, can I just see a glimpse of you? Because I know even if I see just a glimpse of you, I will be changed. I will be transformed. And, and not only, so as, as he was put in the cleft of the rock and as God said, I, I'm going to show you a glimpse of it. I can't show you my face. I can't show you the fullness of my glory because if I did, you would die. You couldn't even, you couldn't even handle it. That's how amazing it is. So I'm just going to pass by and you're just going to get a slim, uh, just, a, a, just a, a small glimpse of my glory. In that glimpse, he was not just transformed spiritually, but even physically, like his face was shining, the Bible talks about. So much so that when he got down off the mountain, everybody was freaked out because his face was like glowing. Can you imagine that? That after we were done in this service, that we all came out and our face are like flashlights, you know, like our family would be freaked out. Like, what is going on there? You know, and this is the, the experience that, that Moses had with God just getting a glimpse. I think about the woman that was lo looking for Jesus and she thought, if I could just touch him. If I could just touch him and she touched the hem of his garment and what happened to her? She was transformed. She was healed. Something happened to her physically and spiritually in that moment. If I could just touch the hem of his garment. And John is seeing this glimpse of heaven. He's saying, man, there, this is the rehearsal for us if we can just get a glimpse of his glory. To be in the presence of the Trinity, to be in the presence of the triune Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Experiencing the voice of God. Experiencing the redemption of his Son and experiencing the presence of his Spirit. That can be experienced in our Sunday gathering. And we as the church can come to him no matter what culture we've come from. I love that in the Old and New Testament, the diversity of God before, or the diversity of the church before God. No, no matter what culture, background, man, woman, child, old, young, we can come before, cast our crowns before God and say, man, if I could just get a glimpse, I'm going to be changed. I'm going to be transformed physically, 
spiritually, emotionally, God is going to do a transformative, redemptive work in my life. To get a glimpse of Eden, to get a glimpse of the tabernacle, to get a glimpse of heaven. That's what our goal is as we gather together on Sundays. And so as we close tonight, I just wanted to close and and just a time of worship and, and uh, to just press into his presence as John talks about and, and just to approach it in humility as the elders did and to experience the presence of God just to ask for a glimpse tonight. Maybe you've never seen that. Maybe this is your first time to church and you're like, man, that was a whole lot of craziness in one chapter. And it gets crazier as we continue. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to get a lot even, just even crazier with, with all of the different, different stuff. But it's so good. It's so awesome. And I really encourage you guys can, to continue through this study as we go through the rest of Revelation. It's just amazing to look forward to what we get to see in heaven as we see here. Um, but... We're going to catch that glimpse tonight, but maybe you've never done that before. And you don't know how. You're thinking, man, how do I even, where do I start? Where do I even start to, to just experience the presence of God like this? Where do I start? What am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to say something? Am I supposed to just recite this? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And then all of a sudden this experience happened. Where am I supposed to start? And I encourage you, just as the elders approached in humility, that is what you're supposed to do tonight in an attitude of worship, is what that word is describing in Greek is to turn towards, to kiss, to adore, to devote yourself. It is just this act of surrender that you're doing in worship. And so as you practice his presence, you're just turning towards, you're offering your love, your whole self, your whole being to God, and you're saying, God, I, I, whatever talent I have, whatever gift that was given to me, whatever burden I have, whatever I'm struggling with, I just want to cast it at your feet. And I just pray that you would just show me a glimpse of your glory, and I promise you God will meet you in that place. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, God, for who you are, what you've done for us, Lord. And thank you, God, for um, your, your word that never returns void. We thank you, God, that your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. Lord, we pray that you'd pierce our hearts tonight with your word. We thank you, God, for just the wisdom that you give us, the discernment that you give us through your spirit as we open up your word. And we ask, God, in this time tonight, Lord, as Moses cried out, as the woman who touched the hem of your garment was pursuing as John saw in Revelation 4, God, we just want to catch a glimpse of your glory. Reveal yourself to us, Lord. Speak to us, God. For those in here, Lord, that have never experienced hearing your voice, I pray, Lord, tonight they would hear from you, Lord. For those of us who have never seen the risen Lord who sacrificed everything for us. I pray, Lord, that that person would experience Jesus tonight for the first time. Draw us into your presence tonight, Lord. Speak to us. We give you our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen.